Yeah. I'm going to put my... I'm going to put my phone on airplane mode so he can't call me back. So you should answer because if he does, that's good. <laughs> All right. We are connected. Let's get the uh, zucchini going here. Connecting to Oasis Mac Mini Control Slideshow. And that's the way we go. All right. Uh, I don't even know what I'm doing here. What are we doing? That got me all wigged out. Oh, Colossians, right. Okay, so Colossians 1. For the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you've caused it to be written. I want to thank you that there is power and there is life in those, in those words. I pray that you would speak to us today. Speak into our hearts, speak into our souls. Each person that comes into this room, God, I know is in a, in a different place this morning. Some stand on the mountaintop, some are, are dragging through the valley. Lord, but I pray that you would speak to each individual heart and give them what they need this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So we've been working through this, um, these five verses now for quite a while. And in fact, it's been about five weeks And what Paul was trying to establish, he's trying to tell us, he's trying to make sure that we understand who Jesus is. The theology of Christ. He wants to make sure that the Colossians understand it. And I believe that because it's been in the Bible, the Lord somehow wants us to understand who Jesus is. That he is divine. That he is the son of God, that he is God. And there's no question, there's no room to kind of argue that throughout the scripture. And so what that means for us is Jesus, he's not, he's not some good teacher. He's not some teacher who came on the scene and he just wanted to have a message of morality and social justice. And he wanted to make everyone kind of feel good, except he wanted to thump up on the, on the religious people. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't one of the prophets that had returned. He wasn't a prophet that came on the scene. He wasn't some miracle worker that was just doling out healings like Santa gives gifts. My my dad used to say that Jesus, he was a great salesman. He wasn't a salesman. They don't, great salesmen don't get tortured and then nailed to a cross. 
Unless, of course, they sell used cars. And all bets are off at that point. Kidding. It's all you used car salesmen here. <laughs> I digress. Where am I? Okay, so the Bible. <sighs> That's a Monday morning hangover right there. Like, wow, did I really say that? The Bible speaks to Jesus being God. Jesus speaks to himself as being God. He confirms that he is God in the flesh, incarnate. And he's with, within this Trinitarian relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. They are one, but yet they're three. The Old Testament points to him and who he is. The New Testament reveals who he is. The Son of God. God with us, God in the flesh that came to dwell among us. And so the last five weeks we've been really wrestling through and kind of working through all of these verses and what it means for us. But, but, but really, Paul is, he is teaching us the theology of Christ. But now it's going to turn a little bit. Now Paul has kind of all laid it out. He's laid out the theology. And now he's going to change things up for us. He's going to talk about us, people, the church, the Colossians. So he lays out this theology. He explains who Christ is. And then he wants us to understand that this actually has a, a realization within our human condition. That this is just not some theological concept. That this is just not good philosophy. That this actually has meaning for us in the way we live our lives today. What, what God is continually uh, inviting us into is life. And it's an amazing life. It's always God's invitation to us. And I believe here, and Paul gets it, that, that, that God is inviting us into this theology. He invites us to become agents of that theology. Maybe in the light of, the, of, of what this all says and how it lays out, God is inviting He's inviting us to participate in the reconciliation that is Jesus Christ. And then he invites us to be agents of that reconciliation to the entire world. But Paul's not just going to leave it at this, this theological concepts. He's going to bring us into it. And he's going to explain it to us. What it means for us. Colossians 1.21 once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. There's a lot going on in this one verse. A lot going on in this one verse. The first word sets it off. Once past tense, something that's happened back then, before Jesus, once you were alienated from God. And, the, and that word alienated has the same word as estranged. One time, Christian, before Jesus got a hold of you, you were alienated, separated from God, from who he is. There was a time in your life before Jesus, where you were out of rhythm, out of whack with your relationship with God. 
There was no harmony there. Now, you may be thinking, well, what does that really look like? Because the problem with that statement is we go right to behavior. Before Jesus, I used to do this. Before Jesus, I used to do that. Before Jesus, I used to participate in those types of things. And see, this is not talking. Alienation from God is just not about your behavior. In fact, that's, that's the last thing on the list. There's something much deeper that takes place within that alienation. See, the Bible teaches over and again that we want God's stuff more than we desire God. We want the blessing more than we want the one who blesses. We want the gifts more than we want the giver of the gifts. We want God and his stuff more than we want him. And see, that's, that's, the, that's the, the posture of sinful humanity. When we desire creation and the created more than we desire God. That's what alienation from God is. And before Jesus, that's who you were. You desired the things of the world more than you desired him. And then, and then it even gets more messed up. Because in our desire of those things, of all that stuff... We really believe that those things are going to fulfill us. That they're going to bring us ultimate happiness. That we are going to be satisfied and find our purpose and our value in the things that we can get and the possessions that we can have in, in the name tag that's on your door. And so we desire these things more than God and we actually believe that it's going to fulfill us and bring us satisfaction. But see, only God can bring that purpose and value and satisfaction. But we get into the cycle of wanting more stuff that doesn't satisfy us, thinking that if we just get a little bit more, maybe then we can find satisfaction in it. And so we are on this, this treadmill, on this, on this circular error of wanting more of the stuff that can't satisfy us in the first place, hoping that if we get more of it, we will ultimately be satisfied. See, if you're looking at your job for your, for your value and, and your satisfaction and, and, you're, and you continually work and you need to climb up the corporate ladder, how far do you have to climb before you'll actually be satisfied? You'll get to the top at one company and then move on to the next because you're always wanting more of something that can never ultimately bring you fulfillment and satisfaction. If I just had just a little bit more money, then I could be happy. Then I I can finally be satisfied. And then you get a little more and then you want a little more and you need a little more and you're on this treadmill and there's not enough money to make you happy because money ultimately can never make you happy. And so we desire more of the very thing that can't bring us satisfaction, hoping that if we got more of it, we would be satisfied. See, God created things, not as the end, but as a means. And the means is that it would point us to him. 
God creates things in, in, so that we could, could look to him. And as we engage and experience the things that he has created, that it would invoke in us a sense of worship. Not to worship the created things, not to worship your job or your money or relationships or whatever. But that it would invoke worship pointing to him and not to all of the junk that the world has. God has given us blessings and gifts, not so they resolve on themselves, but they would point us to him in worship. But see, we think ultimately that those things will satisfy us. In Romans, Paul talks about that we have worshipped the created and not the creator. And God has given us over to our sinful desires. And so work and relationships and money and food and cars and, and wine and the iPhone 5, it's never going to be enough. Because in June, the 5S comes out. And I need that one now. And then next year, to his glory, the 6 will come out. And then maybe if I just have the iPhone 6, then I will be satisfied until the 7, until they put the chip in the back of my head. And I won't need an iPhone at all. I'll just answer the phone call just by pulling on my ear. And see, we always want more. And more and more. And we go after more and more of the very thing that can never bring us satisfaction. And this is what alienation from God looks like. Looking for a fulfillment in stuff when it's only God that can fulfill us. This is once you were that way. Once you put something else as the most important thing in your life than God. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds. Once, some time ago, you wanted God's stuff more than you wanted God, and because of that, you became enemies in your mind. Paul is laying out a very linear pattern of the broken human sinful condition that we all find ourselves in. When we are continually looking for something that can never satisfy us. When we want more of it and we aren't satisfied, we become frustrated. You can never quite get there. It's never quite enough. We become frustrated. We become pessimistic. We become, become grumpy. And when we get to that point, we have to blame someone because our dissatisfaction with the way things are going can't be our fault. It has to be someone else's fault. And so we begin to blame someone else, something else. And so if you're looking at your job to give you a sense of fulfillment, a sense of satisfaction, and you just, and all of a sudden you find yourself, it's not doing it. Well, then it can't be you. It must be those stupid people who run that stupid company that make all of those stupid decisions and they have no idea idea what they're doing because you're looking for something you're trying to get something that was never meant to give it to you god created work so that we would come to a place of worshiping him i know many of you don't see that in your job but that's what work is about or maybe maybe you got married and he was the one. She was the one. And, and, and she was going to complete you. This was it, man. You were looking for that perfect Barbie because you think you were really Ken. 
and 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 and, and this was this was it, man. This was this was the perfect match, and this was the all in all. But then, over some years, things started to get a little squirrely. And, and you weren't getting what you thought you, you deserved. And you weren't getting the fulfillment that you thought this relationship was going to bring. And you start blaming him. Or you start blaming her. I've said this over and over again. Husbands and wives, they make terrible gods. All people make terrible, terrible gods. And so when you elevate a marriage or another person to the ultimate thing in your life, thinking that that person is going to bring you perfect satisfaction, man, you're going to be disappointed. I guarantee it. Just ask Sandy. (laughs) But we need someone to blame. We've become enemies In our minds, it can't be us. It must be them. It must be that thing. It can't be me. And so we start the blame game. I think it's funny sometimes. I talk to people who want nothing to do with God until something goes wrong or until they want something. And then they pray. (laughs) God, can I have some of your stuff? And I don't know what God's thinking. I don't think he goes, right? I think God's like, oh, you just don't get it, do you? And then they get mad and they got to blame God because they didn't get more of his stuff. Once, a time ago, once, before Jesus, this isn't talking to any of us here, right? Once, a long time ago, we were alienated from God because we wanted his stuff more than we wanted him. And we were enemies in our minds because of your evil behavior. Now, I, I must say, um, the way the NIV translate this, translates this, uh, translates, I don't know what they were thinking because everything that I've studied on this verse, this doesn't do well. It, it makes it sound like that because we're evil and our, because our, of our behavior, all of this other stuff happens. And, and behavior is the last thing. The way it should read, the way I believe it should, uh, it's more correct. It's, it's once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds doing evil deeds. It's the way it really should read. The ESV has a better translation from the original text. I know that sounds all geeky and makes me sound a lot smarter than I am. I'm not that smart. I just read a lot. And, and so that's kind of, and it's not because of, it's, it should read, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, comma, doing evil deeds or evil behaviors. See, you get, you put something before God first to look for satisfaction. It doesn't satisfy. You try to get more of it and more of it, and you're still not satisfied, and you're still not satisfied. And you get frustrated, and you get dissatisfied, and you get grumpy, you get pessimistic. You, it just doesn't work out. And then you've got to blame somebody, and you start blaming him. You start blaming her. You start blaming your job. You start blaming everybody else but taking responsibility for yourself. And then... And then once you're there, your behavior begins to fall apart. Let me continue with the illustration of, of marriage. You've looking for your ultimate fulfillment in your husband or your wife. They complete you. They are going to just give you everything you've ever wanted in your life. 
But then you, again, you start to get disappointed and things just don't seem to be going right. You don't feel like you're getting what you need to be fulfilled. You don't feel like you're getting what you need and the, and the relationship just starts to kind of go south and you start to blame them. I am not happy because he is not doing, and you can fill in the blank with a thousand different reasons. I am not happy because she is not doing, and fill in the blank for whatever, whatever reason you want to put in there. And you start to blame your spouse and you get even more frustrated and more unhappy because you're looking to a person to give you what only God could give you and then that person at work starts to pay a little bit more attention to you than your husband or your wife does and then you just start with some harmless flirting I'm going to give this one to you for free. If you're married and you're flirting with somebody, it's not harmless no matter how little it is. All right? That's free. I won't even charge you for that one. But then you start making poor choices. And ultimately, you can make a very big poor choice that can ruin many people's lives. But I will say, even in that, even in that, there's reconciliation through Jesus Christ. Because it's not about us. The behavior is the last thing. It starts with our alienation of putting something before God first. I'm pleading with you as your pastor to put God as the most important thing in your life. Period. Because the road that that travels on when he is not just gets uglier and uglier and uglier. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that a husband and a wife, when they come together, there's something beautiful that takes place. There's something, um, there's an intimate connection. There's a, an emotional connection. That life is better with your spouse. I, I mean, that's not, I'm not saying that that doesn't take place. That is a very important part of marriage. I, I mean, you don't marry somebody you don't like. You don't marry someone that, that you're like, well, I guess, I guess she'll do. I mean, I got no one. You know, if, 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 that's, if that's your case and scenario, if that's your, that was your scenario, then it's probably you that she settled for. But when the marriage becomes the most important thing, man, we've lost our way. When anything becomes the most important thing, we've lost our way. And we can, we can apply this principle to Everything in our lives, whether it be money, I want more money, I want more money, I need a little bit more, then, I'll, then, I'm, then it'll be better, then I'll be happy, then I'll, and then you want more and you want more, and then all of a sudden you start making poor choices. Or, man, I, I, stuff, maybe stuff for you, maybe shopping, is your, and you want more stuff, and you need more stuff, and you just think you're going to be happy with the 5, then the 5S, then the 6, and then before you know it, you just have no more money left, and your credit card bill is way off the roof, and you just make, start making poor choices. See, when we're trying to get the thing that doesn't satisfy us in the first place, and we really believe that if we just get more of it, we will be satisfied, we're on this treadmill that just goes absolutely nowhere. Don't you see why it's impossible to fix your behavior first? This is not about you changing your behaviors so that maybe you can clear your mind so then you can pursue God. That's not the way it works. 
That's, that's a fruitless, tiresome exercise in humanity. It's first to, to focus on God and say, Lord, even if you're not there, that you would pray for the desire of your heart, that he would open it up and you would desire him more than anything. And then allow him, he does the work that begins to change your mind and, be cha- and change the way that you think. And that you're no longer in this blame game of blaming other people. And then once that happens and it's the Lord's work, then he is the one who begins to sanctify you into Christ-likeness. You don't get there by yourself. You can't start there. You start with the pursuit of Christ as your all and all. And watch him make you Christ-like. It's his work. It's not ours. Paul's not going to leave it there. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Okay, that's the good news right there. That's the gospel. But now, but now you have been reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. A huge, huge change has taken place and you haven't changed a thing except that you look to God and not to yourself. Christ has done the work of reconciliation. The sinner has been brought back into close relationship with God the Father and has made peace with him through Jesus Christ, through his physical body. The incarnated Christ on the cross, the work that has been done for us, is now made effective in us because of Jesus Christ. The work that has been done for us has now been made effective in us because of the work of Christ on the cross. You see, Jesus coming to earth as the incarnation, as God in the flesh, had to take place in order that we would know peace with God. It had to happen that he would become sin, real sin, physical on the cross that he that he would become our sin who knew no sin that we 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 would get we would receive his righteousness we receive the righteousness of Christ because he took it all on himself on the cross but now he has reconciled us He has done the work. And then one day in the fullness of time, when we stand before the Lord in all of his glory, we will stand there holy and blameless, without fault, free from every charge that's been leveled against you, free from every accusation that the enemy has brought. Why? Not because you're so good, but because the blood of Christ was spilled on that cross. Once you were alienated, but now, now you have been reconciled and can come before him. Stand before the creator of the universe.
once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul ends this this section with something that's both beautiful and as I let it marinate over the week, it's terrifying. He says, if you continue in your faith. Now, the faith he's talking about is, is the faith in the gospel. If you continue in your faith, established. And, and so I, I believe that, that that idea of being established in the gospel, established in your faith. I mean, we all know that, that life, life can get ugly sometimes. Life can fall apart sometimes. Things go wrong. And I don't mean like, oh no, my dinner reservations fell through. I mean, things can, things can go wrong. Right? I mean, like sickness, terminal illness. Things go wrong. Things go wrong in relationships, marriage relationships, with your children, financial Hardship can come on any one of us. None of us are immune to those things. Things can go really wrong. And so, and so my question would be, where do you turn when it all falls apart? Do you, do, you, do you look to yourself? Do you look to your own strength, to your own intellect, to your own ingenuity, to your own resources? Like you can really figure it out? Or do you look, do you look to God? Do you look to him? And understand that, that, that you, you got nothing. That you got nothing. Some things, some things can only go to the foot of the cross because there is nothing else that you can do. And I know, I know the stories in this room, and some of you have been there, that, that, that only the foot of the cross is the only place that you can go. And so to be established in your faith is to understand that you got nothing You got nothing, and God has everything. And that's the only place that you can turn. That's the only place that makes sense. To go to Him, and Him alone. And it says, established and firm. Are you you living the truth? Of the reality that Jesus is the only one who saves. I mean, I, do, I mean, you know it. I, I get that you know it. But do you live in that truth? My title is not Christ Dennis. Now, I will say that sometimes those two words have been used together. But it hasn't been very flattering. being honest. I am not the Messiah. And and I know I don't want to I don't want to pop your your bubble, but none of you are either. We cannot save ourselves. Do you get that? We don't save ourselves. 
And if you think that you can, I have one word. <gasps> Don't ask me how to spell it. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, Paul is going to tie it all together, and it's going to be beautiful. And then, if you look at that verse a little deeper, it's terrifying. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. The hope held out in the gospel. You see, the hope of the gospel is you can't and Jesus has. And if you move back and forth in that, when you move from a works-based salvation, like I can earn my salvation, like I can, I can do this. If I do enough of the right things, if I read enough, if I pray enough, if I go to church enough, if I serve in enough ministries, then God will accept me. And see, that's work-based salvation. And that is no salvation at all. Christ and Christ alone is our salvation. That's the hope of the gospel. Least no person can boast. It is by faith in him alone. It's Jesus plus nothing. That is our salvation. Jesus plus nothing. And to move away from the hope of the gospel is to get back and caught in that performance mindset that you can perform your way into God's good graces. And you can't, and it's tiring, and it will burn you out. And I've seen many people try and try and try and then say, you know what? This Christianity is not for me. And they walk away from it completely. Missing, missing grace. Now, Um, let me just, you know, when it, when it says, when it reads, if you continue in your faith, um, I need to clarify something. It almost sounds like, okay, we, we, we suffer this alienation before Jesus. And then because of Jesus, we're reconciled. Only if we do these good works, then we can stay reconciled to him. Or maybe can we lose our salvation? Does it, does it ebb and flow? Today I'm saved, tomorrow I'm not so saved. Here's my belief. You don't lose your salvation, okay? Salvation isn't yours to give and to take away. So you can't lose something that's really not yours. You can't lose something that's about you. Yes, even Hebrews 6, I believe, teaches that you don't lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. So you don't ebb and flow in this. You don't one day wake up and say, oh, yeah, Jesus is the most important to me, important thing to me. And then a week later, well, you know, I got this new boyfriend. I don't, I mean, a new girlfriend and, 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 and she's the most important to me. Or I got this new job and, you know, I need to put, I need to put the faith thing on hold a little bit because this, I'm going to climb me the corporate ladder. I'm going to get to the top. See, it, it doesn't quite happen that way. So this is not about losing salvation. This is, this is about, do you possess it at all in the first place? See, that's, that's the terrifying part for me as a pastor. I mean, I'm not here to judge anybody's salvation. That's not my job. But maybe you were thinking when I was describing alienation and enemy in your mind and the evil deed, maybe you were thinking, ooh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit there.
And so it causes tension within us. It's, it's my fear. It's my fear that people come to our church and they think everything is okay between them and God. And it's not. It's my fear that people come to our church and they think, I, yeah, I'm, I'm saved. Because they were baptized in junior high or they said the prayer when they were six years old in Sunday school and everything is okay and they come to church. You see, without the transformation that, that only happens through the, the Holy Spirit in our lives, there, there's, there's, I mean, the Holy Spirit is what brings salvation and the Holy Spirit brings transformation. And so have you been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? Because if you haven't, this should really cause a pause in your spirits. This should, should create in you, as what, what Matt Chandler would say, a healthy fear. That you would go to God and say, oh, I, I don't know. And it's okay if you come to that point and say, I don't know. It's much better than you to say, yeah, I'm good. And then just live a life that lacks any empowerment and transformation of the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing, amazingly beautiful set of verses. But it's also terrifying. Our continuance in the gospel is evidence of its reality within us. Let me say it again. Our continuance in the gospel is the evidence that it is a reality within us. You're not a Christian for a year and then you decide you're not going to be a Christian again because you've followed some other crazy tree-hugging belief. And then, oh, maybe I'll try Christianity again. That's not the way this works. You don't ebb and flow through your salvation because it's the transformation of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit transforms, you are transformed indeed. And there's no turning back. And I'm not talking about you're going to be perfect. I'm not talking about you got all the answers. I'm not talking about you're like, like they name buildings after you and churches after you because you're like this holy, amazing person. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a heart that pursues Christ. It's the most important thing. Even within your sin. I have a, a friend who once told me, Sometimes, sometimes all you could do when you're in the midst of your sin, sometimes all you can do is just ask God to forgive you in the midst of sin. And he's gracious. And he will. But see, grace is used as a license too, too often. And not as the empowerment to live the way the Holy Spirit has transformed us to live. Grace is beautiful and amazing. But it's also empowering. 
I'm not, I don't want this to, to scare people away. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe you go to your knees and say, God, I'm not sure. It's an honest dialogue. God knows you're not sure anyway. Maybe, maybe it's time that you, uh, you start allowing yourself to become part of a community of faith, to get with other people, that you would be known by them and become known, uh, get to be known by them and get to know them. And allow the work of the whole. Listen, man, if you're here, it's not because you've just gummed up enough of uh, initiative to get here. The Holy Spirit is doing something in you. It's not by chance. But when Paul writes this beautiful, but now you have been reconciled through his physical body and, and the shed blood, if you, I mean, maybe a better way, it would the way we could say that he writes it, it would be, if you, and I know you will continue in your faith because he knows that salvation is from God and God alone. And you don't lose it. Question is, do you possess it? God, I want to thank you for your word, even though it can be difficult sometimes, scary and beautiful. Lord, I pray that you would do the work that only that you, you can do in our hearts and in our minds and our lives. The Holy Spirit, would you come and just and just fill each person in measure this morning that you that, that you would come and reveal that you would continue to sanctify the Lord that maybe you would even save this morning if if you want if you want people to pray for you this morning and you know we're not big on altar calls here I think we've done one like never um, but if you want You know, the the elders are going to be over here this morning to pray for people. I mean, if you want to be prayed for, whatever that prayer is, maybe maybe it's the prayer of, I have no idea now. Thanks, Dennis. So much for my offering this week. That's okay. You can double up next week. I'm good. But if you want to be prayed for, then then don't leave. Don't leave. If 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 there's a if there's a there's something going on. If there's something going on in you, even if you can't explain it, if there's something going on in you, then let these guys pray over you and see what the Holy Spirit does. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.